Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. The Built by Bama online podcast presents T. Watts and T.R. for Thursday, May the 7th, 2020. Travis Schreier, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, joined by site publisher Tim Watts. Tim, uh, how you doing on this Thursday? I'm good. It's getting a little cold, um, but I'm good. I didn't expect to wake up in the 40s this morning, so I had to, I had to adjust a little quicker than usual. Yeah, it's almost feeling like either the December or February uh, signing dates for football with this late chill that we're getting here in the month of May. And with that, hard not to think about recruiting. And certainly, Tim, as we've seen from Tennessee and maybe some other programs around college football, a real flurry of recruiting news and commitments here in the last week or so. Uh, We saw Alabama with a couple of commitments a week or two ago. Uh, what do you attribute some of this to, Tim? I mean, is it is it staffs pushing harder maybe than some other staffs are to go ahead and get kids in the boat? Is it kids that are just saying, look, I don't know exactly how this is going to play out with this pandemic and how the recruiting calendar is going to be possibly affected. I'm going to go ahead and make the decision to commit. What What's going on here? Yeah, you know, I think it's a combination. I mean, when you look at these kids, they've got to be bored. I mean, they might, you know, there's there's coaches who for sure are spending a lot more time recruiting than they do with other stuff. Like, you know, they've been working on spring and, you know, hosting visitors a lot of other times. So they got plenty of time to text and FaceTime and snap with you, you know. So I think we're seeing that's a combination. I mean, there's a ton of commitments here and we're seeing – you know, some staffs work really hard. Now, what's going to be interesting to me is what's going to happen when you got these kids who are locked up in their basically their hometown. And then all of a sudden, if uh, we open back up and they're able to take visits, I think you're basically looking at the process for a lot of these kids starting right over. Because if you remember heading into this February, March, you know, Alabama was hosting junior days, slowed it down a little bit to get the new uh, the strength and conditioning guys uh, their program set up once they were hired and get everybody, you know, that's a pretty pretty good presentation, apparently. So they wanted them to see that. So um, I think when you get these kids on campus, it's going to be a whole new ball game. But I think there's a little bit of boredom, a little bit of excessive texting, a little bit of uh, more communication than usual. And don't forget, the kids don't have school. They don't have practice. They don't have all the weight room stuff. So yeah. they're, they're, they're probably bored, too, texting their butt off. Yeah, that's those are great points based on the this the situation we currently find ourselves in and um a little bit stir crazy, I think, uh with all the parties involved and uh could be leading to some decisions from that perspective, but it's also interesting what you said about once this thing hopefully gets opened back up and and prospects are able to make their way onto campuses, uh how many of these committed guys, Tim, you know, do follow that sort of lead and start it all over again and go out on, you know, you, if you're some of these programs that have kids committed, maybe you have 10, 15, even up close to 18, 20 commitments. You, you may have to, you may have to go through the process twice with some of these guys, right? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, you, there's nothing like getting a kid on campus. I mean, for any school. I mean, you get them on campus, you show them your weight room, facilities, the dorms, and even more important than getting a kid on campus is getting their parents on campus. Um, there's got to be a certain level of comfort for them, too. So, yeah, I'm anticipating mm-hmm. what you said, uh, you know, you know, having these kids go through this process now sort of in the blind. And I'm sure they're doing virtual tours and everything else. But a virtual tour, that's not the, you know, watching – Watching a ride at Disney ain't the same as being on the ride at Disney. So, <laughs> I mean, you you know, these kids are going to want to get out. And imagine, not only do kids want to get out all the time, but imagine having been locked up this long. Yeah, We might no have doubt. trying to take six, seven, eight official visits, you know. They, <laughs> might, they might be trying to fill up every weekend. But, again, it depends on the timing because once that season starts, assuming the season starts, they're going to be limited again. Um uh, on when they can they can travel. Now, what it could do is don't forget we have the early period and the late period. Kids right. always slow this down and wait till the uh, the, the the February signing period if they wanted to. I, I was going to ask you that exact question. Do you think with the way things are sitting right now, assuming there isn't major alterations made to the recruiting calendar as a result of the coronavirus pandemic? Uh, with the early signing period coming in a couple of years ago, things have certainly shifted more towards the December date. Do you think we're going to see more February action this time around with that traditional signing date than we've seen the last couple of years, uh, perhaps, Tim? Yeah, you know, I, th- I think that's a possibility. I mean, it's so so many uncertainties. We, when this first came about, I'm not sure we expected as many kids to sign early as have signed early. Uh, it's been a much higher percentage than I personally anticipated, and I think others did as well. So, uh, you know, again, you know, you if you want to get it over, but, you know, you go through the football season, you got Friday night games, you have to get an official visit on Saturday morning, and you have to leave Sunday night. You know, you don't get your whole 48 hours. So it's always been a little bit of a rush process. That's why you saw how important the unofficial visits were or even the official visits in the summer. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's a chance. You know, if you don't get a chance to take the visits you want to after December – you know, it's wide open. You got plenty of time. You know, you might play basketball, so that would affect you. But if you're a big-time football player, you got plenty of time to take a visit, uh, plenty of time for your parents to figure out the time. It'll be after Christmas, so that'll be a little bit easier, too. So, yeah, it could affect a lot of things. Yeah, I think us as media and certainly even as fans, when we're left to our own devices, we have too much time on our hands Uh, In a situation like this, you start coming up with scenarios that maybe are not even factual, uh, realistic, but perhaps there's a shred of uh, reality involved in some of these recruitments. And a guy who sort of uh, created some headlines here in the last few days, Jaquincy McKinstry, the five-star corner from Pinson Valley. Tim, what's, what's real, what's not real, what do we still not know about Kool-Aid? You know, there's been a lot of rumors, you know, uh, surrounding the guy. And it's not surprising, the kids that are more quiet. It's not like, you know, they call him Kool-Aid. And it's not like he's super quiet. But he doesn't say a lot as far as his recruitment. I'd say he's more of a private guy. He doesn't talk a lot as far as about himself. But he talks. He just, you know, he doesn't say a lot about his recruitment. So there's a lot of speculation. I'm not sure where the rumors come from. Uh, it, it basically takes one message board post or, or one thing to start a rumor. Yesterday was he was it started, you know, LSU was going to have a surprise commitment. And for some reason, somebody associated it with uh, 
McKinstry, and it sort of took off from there. But, you know, but right now I think Alabama's did a good job. They always knew it was going to be a fight. Carl Scott certainly isn't going to get outworked. He, he, you know, he showed how great a recruiter he was last year, and he has that Birmingham area. So uh, I think Alabama's in solid shape with him right now. LSU's obviously, you know, carrying that 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 season over. Always been a good recruiting staff. So always been a a place kids like to look at. So Auburn's in there, and I think Clemson's in there. But right now, I think Alabama's in in pretty solid shape. Speaking of defensive backs, that's going to be a topic we really get into on this edition of T. Watts and TR, part of the Built by Bama online podcast. If you haven't already, give us a subscription there to the Built by Bama online podcast. Leave us a rating and a review if you don't mind. We would certainly appreciate that. And it's timely for a couple of different reasons, I think, Tim, because, well, we just talked about potentially a, a future pro. We'll see how it goes with Jaquincy McKinstry. But when you look at what Alabama has been able to do at the position, certainly in the Nick Saban era, which is where our focus is going to be today. Most recently, you've got a couple of first team all pros and Minka Fitzpatrick and Marlon Humphrey from the 2019 NFL season. So uh, defensive back play, man. And and we we're going to we're going to go to the to the start of it. But. Here most recently, it seems to be Minka and Marlin that are carrying that flag as much as anyone. You know, don't forget Eddie. I don't know oh, if it, yeah. it happened so quick, but Eddie Jackson was the highest paid safety in the NFL at one point. Um, I don't know if somebody gave somebody else a, uh, a new deal the next day, but Eddie's been another one that's, uh, that, that's been really an impact guy. A guy we loved. Uh, you know, he was a kid that wasn't even really on a lot of radars. You remember he popped up in like November before signing period. Uh, injured as a junior. Next thing you know, he's popped up. Alabama's looking at a bunch of big name defensive backs at the time: Jalen Ramsey, Von Bell, uh, Eddie Jackson, and they chose Eddie to target and land. So Eddie's been was a really good player at Alabama, and having a you know great careers of you know fourth round steal in the NFL. No doubt about it. Um, but we're going to get back to sort of the start of the Saban era, and that first team or two that he had that eventually evolved into a national championship club in 2009. And when you look at the back end of those early defenses, uh, we've talked about Kareem Jackson and kind of his unlikely path to Alabama uh, as a part of that first recruiting class under Nick Saban. And that was a Saban evaluation and a Saban sign because Kareem wasn't, wasn't a holdover from Mike Shula. Uh, Javier Arenas, Javier Arenas, part of that first group of defensive backs um you know you look at Rashad Johnson former walk-on ended up being a NFL safety uh Justin Woodall what about Marquise Johnson man people forget about Marquise but you know Marquise had one of the better performances by a defensive back in the entire Nick Saban era against South Carolina here in Tuscaloosa in 2009 I believe it was Alshon Jeffrey that South Carolina kept trying to throw the fade to at Bryant Denny Stadium. And Marquise just kept making pass breakup after pass breakup. So uh, you can go back to that initial group. Love to get your thoughts on a couple of those guys. Yeah, Marquise is a little special to me. I'd, I'd went for uh, back in the day when I was with Rivals, I'd went through that Tampa. Do you remember that? That Tampa? Sure. Water tour. Sarasota. Mike, yeah. Mike Ford. Yeah, Mike Ford. I went down and saw all those guys. Steven Garcia. Um, 
Marquise Johnson had just moved there. I want to say he came from Orlando, maybe Edgewater. I can't remember yep. exactly. I've yep. gotten old, but he was there and he was out there and he had a teammate, um, Sam Shields, who's with the, well, I think he went to Miami, ended up with the Packers. He's been around for a while, but yeah, Marquise, he I coached it and he just got there, hadn't been there long. I was talking to the coach and he said, this is a guy to watch. I loved him. You know, I loved him. I thought he's a big time athlete. He's a really good kid. He was a playmaker. Um, Alabama did a good job. You know, they ended up, you know, recruiting that area really hard that year with, I believe it was Dave Unger, maybe. Uh, Unger went down there and got a couple of those guys. Yeah, Hobby, Marquise yeah, Johnson. And he, yeah. yeah, he landed Hobby, which was amazing. I mean, that guy was a, a two-star. And the minute we saw his film, we knew he's better than a two-star and committed to Florida International. Is that right? Or Atlantic? And, yeah, I think it was, I think it was, yeah, it was one of those two. I think it yeah, may just, have been. It, but I mean, he's just sort of an afterthought. But I remember watching the film and you seeing the film and us going, "Nah, this is this guy's not just a three star, something special." And then, of course, you know, you know Johnson as a uh, a walk on. You know, that's another guy. I think you helped break the story. I was driving to a AAU basketball game and I think you called me and was like, "Hey, I think this guy from up there, just North Alabama area, just committed." And uh, we started digging into the stories. So yeah, sort of a pretty a. Uh, eclectic group you know what i mean you look at those guys you know you know you know uh kareem you know again what a great evaluation like you said at one of the prep schools i don't even know if they exist anymore um alabama went in and got them wasn't a lot known about a lot of these guys but you know you know good job by the former staff and then but definitely a great job of the alabama staff developing these guys marquise johnson if you go in the ua record book right now and passes broken up in a game most passes broken up in a game. Marquise Johnson tied with John Mangum, the former Alabama corner. Mangum did it twice with six against Vanderbilt in 89. And then just a couple weeks later against Southwestern Louisiana, now known as Louisiana or Louisiana Lafayette. But Marquise in that aforementioned 2009 matchup with Alshon Jeffrey, six PBUs and you hit on it eclectic I think is a great way to describe sort of that initial group because you know Javi as much as anything when he came here was viewed more as a kick returner than a defensive back or a corner I don't know if there was a a lot of certainty from a position standpoint whether or not he'd end up on offense because he could play running back he could play in the slot Uh, he ended up on defense and you know we've talked about this before when you look at Javi and his measurables Probably not a guy that Nick Saban or a Nick Saban staff would have been all that high on as a corner, but I'll still stand by it. If I had to pick one star defensive back, that slot corner, to this point in the Nick Saban era, Javi would still be my guy. I would still go with Javier Arenas today. There was something special about him. You know, that work ethic, just the way, you know, just how hard he worked at the game. I mean, it was hard not to like him. You know, you heard all kinds of stories about his work ethic and, him getting after he was a talented guy and he wasn't a you know he wasn't a 4-4 guy for his size he had physical limitations but man that guy was strong and he yeah. was smart and he was a hard worker could return the hell out of some kicks too um how about the John Mangum throwback he's not a bad player John Mangum was I watched you know because there's a pandemic going on I actually watched the <laughs> 1988 Alabama Texas A&M game the other night because I was doing, I was working on something about Derek Thomas and uh, that we ran on the website, Derek Thomas and his five sacks and the hurricane bowl and watching John Mangum in that game. I mean, that, that guy was a playoff 
at the cornerback position. Went on played in the NFL for yeah for quite a few years. years. Yeah, yeah he, Chicago he, Bears. Yep, yeah, he was there yeah. for a while. Yep, but yeah, excellent, yeah. excellent group. Sort of like uh, an island of misfit toys. They were so good together. Um, individually, it might not have impressed you, but when you put them together, and then you know the thing they had, they had just a tremendous work ethic. You know, Javi, Javi I mean, was a really good blitzer too. Uh, Javi yeah, was, coming off the, you yes. wouldn't have thought it, but looking at him, but as good a blitzing star defender as Saban has had for sure, in my opinion. Rashad Johnson was actually a running back, if you remember. Actually had a really good A-Day game at the running back position while Shula was still here. I talked with Chris Ball once the decision was made to move Rashad to the defensive side. And I asked Chris Ball, who is now the head coach at Northern Arizona, was the defensive backs coach here at Alabama at the time. And and I asked Chris about it. I said, what do you think about Rashad? And he goes, I don't know if he's going to be a corner or safety, but he's going to be a starter at Alabama in the secondary. And uh, Chris hit that one. No doubt about it. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of an initial group. And Justin Woodall, you know, at the time that Alabama signed him, this is one of those guys that we go back to from the Shula era. It was a big deal when Alabama signed it Justin Woodall. And that him. kid, let me tell you, that kid, you talk about a kid that, you know, they say just don't give an F. Chris, Justin didn't care about nothing. And, you know, he's right in the middle of Oxford. Yeah. Know? And I remember this country. That, and I remember asking him, are you getting a lot of pressure? And he said, oh, yeah, walking down the halls, getting water. He said it was constantly. I said, anybody, you know, he said, yeah, people got mad when I committed to Alabama. I said, they're mad at you? He said, yeah. And I said, uh-oh. And he said, oh, I ain't worried. Can't none of them whoop me. He's like, he, <laughs> yeah. He said, can't none of them whoop me. Let them try. I mean, that guy knew right away uh, mentally he's exactly what, you know, what Alabama wanted. That was a big kid. Good baseball player, too, if I remember correctly. Good uh, baseball player. Yeah, there's yeah. talk about him going in the major league draft. Big kid, uh, funny guy. And again, like you said, right in the middle, you know, right in the middle of Oxford, you know, not an easy, easy pull for that staff. Another one of the, the former players you see out there now who's sort of gotten into the individual instruction business too, working with defensive backs on a private basis these days is Justin Woodall. So that was kind of your initial group that got you through that 2009 national championship you sprinkled in mark Barron a little bit you know from the safety position dre kirkpatrick then follows suit you get d milner on board tim i think you really started to see the fruits of that 0809 season not just in your defensive back recruiting but recruiting across the board as we know the 08 class historic on multiple levels, but you get Barron, you get Dre Kirkpatrick, you get Milner, and the 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 the, the biggest, I guess, luxury of all that was those were three in state guys. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was a great run there. Mark, you know, you know, you know, you had colleges who had different opinions on what they were gonna do. A uh, a former assistant on the Shula staff actually thought Mark Barron was going to be a fullback. Um huh. yeah, that was uh I think it was, a football was, coach. Yeah, yes, to some yes, to some degree, <laughs> football coach. Um, you know, obviously, I think a lot of people saw Mark possibly even as a running back. Um, you know, you could have seen good him athlete. as a wide receiver yeah. to some degree. He's just such a good football player. I always thought exactly where he ended up, outside linebacker safety. He just had that build from him. He was a safety, really good safety at Alabama, obviously, and um, and then uh, you know has moved into sort of that hybrid role in the in the in the football in National Football League. So. 
really good year down there in Mobile, you know, Julio's year. And also his team, you know, they had uh, – he had two other teammates, right, to sign with Alabama, Destin Hood and Ivan Matchett. Yep. And Destin was a big-time baseball player. Uh, with Went baseball, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think he's yeah he's been in the. Uh, did he make kidding. it up? He made it up with the I double race. I feel like he did. I feel like he yeah. did um, uh, make it up. I know at that time there was a couple of guys, and there was also the uh, the athlete Alabama signed from Pinson Valley that was with the uh, what was his name? He was with the Rays. He was an athlete from Pinson Valley. I'm drawing a blank. I don't want to get sidetracked. But yeah, they had a lot of guys. A lot of these guys you'll notice Alabama recruited. We're a multi-sport athletes. So, yeah, that was a good area. Mark Barron kicked it off. Drake Kirkpatrick, of course, was huge. Steve Milliner, we've discussed on here before, just a kid I love. I mean, I told you, I went and filmed him on a Thursday night. He was so excited. No one had – he thought no one had ever seen him. Um, obviously, people had seen him, but I was there, and I was trying to stay out of his way and not let him see me because, you know, kids get distracted. They start doing stuff they shouldn't do. I've seen kids get yelled at while I was filming them. Um, you know, I think they, uh, ran it instead of threw it when they were, you know, I think they, I think they audibled a few times. Uh, but anyways, I was getting ready to leave. I was packing up. He'd scored like five touchdowns and he did it in just about every way. Offense, defense, special teams. And I, as I was sort of packing up middle of the third, I have plenty enough film. He walked by, he says, do I need to do anything else? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and take your shoulder pads off. I said, nah, I said, nah, you're going to let me get home early. You've already done enough. So. You know, Drake Kirkpatrick, another kid, big-time player. And, you know, right after that group was Ha-Ha Clinton Dix. So, Ha-Ha Clinton Dix. And you also so had over, a couple. Yeah. Over a four-year window, I mean, you're talking four first-round picks, guys that are still in the National Football League, you know. And, again, you know, having very successful careers. And you also had a nice mix where you sprinkled in a couple of junior college players, Daquan Menzies. Um, Dion Ballou was a bounce back as a non-qualifier. Um, but you, you got maximum production and, and, uh, and, and, and snaps out of those guys from the junior college ranks as well. Baron, I recall is sort of mixing in there and kind of Oh eight Oh nine when Alabama would go more to its dime stuff probably. Uh, but, but quickly, quickly joined that mix. Um, and then some guys that we're going to talk about, like HaHa ha Clinton Dix, Vinny Sunseri. But, you know, we've talked about Robert Lester before as being sort of this perceived throw-in with Julio Jones from Foley High School. And if you just want to go on production and numbers, Robert Lester can go with any of these guys during his time at Alabama. Yeah, and, you know, we've discussed that. Nick Saban's never been one that was, was big on doing the package deal. I mean, uh, Keenan Allen is perhaps one of the best players Alabama's ever recruited. You know, I, th- I think he's up there with the, the very best that Alabama's had committed to uh, land or decommit. That's how good I thought Keenan was. You know, and Alabama would have kept him, in my opinion, if they'd uh, they signed his brother, who was a, you know, was a Buffalo and decided to transfer. I think mm-hmm. Alabama could have very well landed him. And they chose not to do that for Keenan. So there's not a lot of package deals. Uh, at Alabama, Robert was a guy they watched, you know, and that's one of those guys they watched as a junior, saw him in camp, um, and then watched as a senior. And he had a really good senior year, you know. He had a good year. He earned that scholarship on his own. Lance Thompson. Well, it wasn't like Alabama was panicking over Julio Jones at the time to begin with, but Lance Thompson was recruiting that area, and I think Lance was an advocate for Robert early on. So, um, 
I think you had to sell Nick and Kirby and them on him. So, but yeah, you know, a guy who had, yeah, had production. He was a good football player at Alabama. Undrafted free agent, but stuck with the Carolina Panthers there for a while in the NFC South. And, you know, you see this with the in-state guys, Mark Barron, Drake Kirkpatrick, D. Milner, Dion Ballou was a, a an in-state guy before going JUCO and bouncing back. Robert Lester from South Alabama. But then you start to see. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Kind of in parallel with the rest of the roster, Alabama starts getting into the other areas of the southeast and really starts moving uh, to other areas of the country from there. Ha ha, Clinton Dix comes in from Central Florida. Landon Collins, um, you go and get out of Louisiana. Cyrus Jones out Cyrus of the... Jones. Absolutely. Yeah, Cyrus Jones, who at the time, you know, there was some question about exactly what position Cyrus would play. In fact, I think he started out here on the offensive side before becoming, as we know, a really good corner, really good kick returner. You talked about Eddie Jackson from the state of Florida, Minka from the state of New Jersey. Got pretty uh, got pretty national pretty quick there from yeah. the uh, defensive back recruiting perspective. Anthony Averett as well. You know, you had yep. Terry, you know, you know, he was from Ohio. I think he ended up finishing his senior year in Tuscaloosa. But, you know, he was from Ohio, played with uh, Trey DePriest. Uh, yeah, definitely from that uh, that uh, Maryland area. That uh, what is that area called? The Mid Atlantic. The you know, DMV. Yeah, the DMV. You know. Yeah. Uh, DC, you know, Baltimore. Yep. Yeah, you get Cyrus. You start looking at Mink and Anthony Everett from that Northeast area. Bama's always went pretty hard in Florida. So you've seen guys like Ronnie Harrison. You've seen Eddie Jackson, of course, Texas with the Tony Brown. So yeah, it went more national. I mean, you saw that. You saw that sort of that, that kickoff from Barron being drafted high, Dre being drafted high, D being drafted high. You saw all that payoff, and you know Clinton Dick sort of led the way with that, uh, you know, getting that big, you know, getting him from Orlando. Texas is an area that that Alabama has worked over there pretty well. Uh, additionally, although when you think about maybe the top defensive backs that Alabama has had, Jared Maiden here recently was a Texan, but. Um, uh, the, the, they've worked the, the Lone Star State pretty good, too. Yeah, they did. Bo Jackson was there for a while. He did a good job. Don't forget Kendall Sheffield, Yeah. Uh, you know, who was going to be a, a, you know, a good player at Alabama and, uh, you know, transferred and, and, and all that stuff and was really good at Ohio State. So they had a good little run there. Tony Brown was a huge signee. Yep. You know, that, that was a huge deal, and it was really quiet. Uh, a lot of people assume Tony, you know, and I think it was logical. I mean, he had a sister at LSU. LSU was doing a great job with defensive backs. They'd been on him very early. And, uh, you know, I, I think the, uh, you know, a lot of the assumption was he was going to LSU. And I felt like that for a lot of the process. I knew Alabama was in there. Um, but, you know, you know, talking to the mom, you know, a lot of times it's the weirdest person that can tip you off a of recruitment because you can't really listen to what a kid says. If you have kids, you know, you know, you can't really trust because they're so emotional 
exactly what they're saying. Parents are a little bit different. I seen, I remember mom telling me he needed that discipline. And the two names she specifically mentioned was Urban Meyer and Nick Saban. And she mentioned Nick Saban a lot. Mom was big on that. And I think she was a big influence on getting Tony. Came down to the wire. He kept it pretty secret. He's one of those guys that committed at the uh, at his all-star game. So, it was, you know, it's a pretty big deal uh, to get Tony, a freak athlete. Still, you know, still not sure. Tony's a little bit stiff. But, I mean, one of the freakiest athletes, uh, you know, a fan favorite. Tony's obviously one of the boldest, you know, has one of the biggest pairs you'll ever see on anybody in the world, you know, you had to love him. So uh, it was a huge, huge get at the time, especially considering he was, you know, they were battling LSU so hard. I don't know if Alabama's had bigger fan favorites at the defensive back positions than Tony Brown and Dre Kirkpatrick. Maybe Hobby. Hobby was up there. Um, yeah. You got to talk I mean, about got- fan favorites. Yeah, just guys that play. Yeah, Dre. Dre was that. Dre just had that little, you know, he was like that early on. You know, I knew Dre from that Gadsden area a little bit earlier than some of these other guys. He sort of was shining early. Um, had a flair for the dramatic. You know, caused a you know caused a lot of uh, uh, had a lot of eyes on him. Did the old you know Texas Alabama hat switch so Dre could get it. Javi just was that work. You know, he was that guy that you really thought you wanted to be, you know, like <laughs> he was a guy you related to because physically, I mean, it's hard to relate to Minka. I got, you know, right. I got nothing in common with Minka and Marlon. You know, they were, you know, they're beautiful athletes just at the next level. Javi was, of course, was a great athlete. Nobody, not many people are an athlete like him, but he was more, you know, he wasn't as tall. He wasn't as fast, you know, so you could relate to Javi. You know, it's almost like, the way I feel about Antoine Petway when he was at Alabama, all those great out. I mean, I got, you know, how much you got in common with Robert Ory, you know what I mean? But Antoine Petway was a guy you could tell did the work, put in the work and just played, you know, really smart. I think Javi's very similar uh, to me, the same way uh, Pet is to me at basketball. Yeah. I like to shoot threes like big shot Bob does, but as far as the six, nine and dunking stuff goes, yeah, Yeah. not a lot. And also my threes don't, they, they they don't tend to go in as much as Robert Ory's did back in the day. And you know what else, Tim? There's actually been a couple of walk-ons that have made big impacts. We talk about all these uh, highly recruited targets at the defensive back position that we've gone through, and so many of these guys have cashed checks in the National Football League. But you know, just a couple of years ago, Levi Wallace stepped in and beat out a guy like Trayvon Diggs and was – exceptional and is still in the national football league and is probably going to be there for a long time. Yeah. You know, I was a big Levi guy and I was calling him sort of the sleeper of that draft. As far as Alabama players thought, I just, I thought the guy had a little bit, something special to him. Didn't go high in the draft. Um, but man, I thought he had just an unbelievable career at Alabama, sort of a slow start, skinny kid worked his way. You know, this is another guy, you know, that just worked his way, um, you know, worked his way where he needed to be and ended up on a Bills roster. Um, I don't even think he was drafted. I remember thinking he no. would be a really good late draft pick, but I feel like he didn't get drafted. Uh, but definitely, you know, uh, that worked out in his favor. You know, it, a lot of times it's better to be undrafted than a seventh-round pick because you're locked into that seventh-round pick. Yeah, and, you get to uh, pick your spot. Yeah, better you, situation for you absolutely. personally. Absolutely. A lot of times that little, you know, $18,000 probably isn't worth it if you're trying to make a team in a lot of 
in a lot of situations. But definitely a guy, yeah, Alabama's had a high success rate uh, with those guys, those hardworking guys, those Javis, those Rashads, those those Levi's, those Vinny Sinceri, guys that, you know, maybe the fans didn't appreciate enough because of the three-star. But their work, you know, the one thing we that they have in common is work ethic. Yeah. And you talk about every one of those guys. They just, you know, not that the five-stars didn't grind. Obviously, there's not a harder worker that than's ever been at Alabama than Minka. He's right there at the top. You know, he's my personal favorite. Um, but uh, yeah, these all these all these guys we're talking about have that high work ethic. Got to shout out my guy Will Lowry at this point too. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Jeremy Pruitt product over there at Hoover High School ended up being a big part of those 2010 2011 teams. Absolutely, absolutely, an unsung hero made some plays. Uh, another guy really popular in the locker room, too. Absolutely. Will Lowry. Got to give him some love. So as we've run through all these, now I'm going to get to the to the part of uh, challenging us both, Tim, on T. Watts and T.R. here on the Built by Bama online podcast. I'm going to ask you, you can put five defensive backs on the field from this group that we've just talked about. And look, if you want to put five corners out there, put five corners out there. If you want to put five safeties, that's fine too. But five of these defensive backs, kind of an all Saban era secondary, so to speak. Um, what would your five look like? I'll give you mine first. How about that? You want you want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. That's good. I'll go first. Okay, so if I can put any five out there, my five are going to be Kareem Jackson. I'm going to go Javi Arenas at the star position. Kareem at a corner. I'm going to have Minka Fitzpatrick at a safety. I'm going Marlon Humphrey at a corner. And then I'm going to go, it's tough because you get, for me anyway, I get to Eddie Jackson. I get to Ha Ha Clinton Dix. I mean, Landon Collins. Oh, and yeah. I love Rashad Johnson, too. Those three interceptions oh. against LSU in 2008. No one is going to forget those anytime soon. But I'm going to have to go Eddie Jackson because he makes so many damn plays. You know, so you know, those would be my five. There's not a right answer here, and there's no. certainly not a wrong answer. You know what it is? It's more of a favorite list, your favorite five, I mean, than it, it is the best it five. Is, you know, for me, this would start with Minka. I mean, that's that's my guy. I've always felt just that, you know, you know, from a signing standpoint, physical standpoint, mental standpoint, he had everything you want. Um, so versatile. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, you I play you, anywhere. I'm going to surprise you a little bit here. I'm going to put Minka one safety. I'm going with Xavier at the other safety. Wow. Yeah. I think Xavier. Now, is that recent? Is that is that uh, recency bias coming in there, Tim? Or is that no? I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. I think Xavier. I don't think this Alabama team was as nearly as talented as other teams we've seen. And I think he had to do more than Landon did in Ha Ha Clinton Dix. I don't think his supporting cast yeah, it's true. was as well. And I think Xavier did more than he should have had to do. Had to make too many tackles, that's for he sure. He absolutely did. He absolutely did. I think from a talent standpoint, he matches up with all of them. Um, you know, all of them went basically in the same sort of draft area. I think Ha Ha went 21 and the other ones went in the early 30s. So, uh, I, I'm going to go with Xavier. I think he did more. I mean, these other guys are great, but they had a lot of talent around them. So I'm going to I'm gonna go with Xavier right there. 
And uh, I'm going to go with Javi at the star, obviously. You know, you can't go wrong with him. And then I'm going to line up Marlon, who just is, just is as good as he wants to be. That's the thing with Marlon. You forget Marlon's still a puppy. I know. Marlon's still, still such a young guy. Physically blessed, was born to play this game. Um, you know, probably a little bit immature, not in a bad way. You know, went by fruit punch till. Likes that fun, no doubt about that. Went by like fruit punch till he realized they were not going to certify it. So they on Twitter <laughs> they had to, they were not certifying fruit punch. And that other corner, man, you get down to some good guys. Um, yeah. Yes. I'm going to go with D. Milliner. Okay. He's a this is just based on his college production. I, yeah. I thought D was really good for Alabama. Did a lot of things. Also was sort of, you know, D was stuck out there a little bit by himself after Mark left. Dre, you know, Drake Patrick left. 2010, yeah, yeah that was, he was tough. Out, he was out there by himself a lot. So, you know, Drake got, took Drake took some lumps in 2010 too. I mean, it, because you're right. They totally turned over that secondary for the Yeah, that part. thing flipped over and that yeah. I've always respected Drake cuz he was not stuck in wasn't he just basically special teams his first year? I mean, I don't uh, remember. Yeah, Dre in 2009 on that team when you had Kareem and, and you had uh, Javi and then you had Marquise as your third yeah. corner. You know, for, that was me, Dre. You know, for, for me, guys like Xavier and D, they had to, they had a little bit more of an uphill battle. I mean, nothing against all these guys. I mean, leaving HaHa off, you know, you know, leaving, you know, Ha ha and Landon Collins obviously is huge. Okay, I'm I'm gonna let you come with a sixth defensive back then in the oh. dime. When you go to the dime package and you can bring another D B on, you can bring Ha Ha or Landon or maybe even Rashad Johnson or any of these guys that we I'm talked bringing, about. I'm bringing Eddie. Okay. Yeah. I want offense. When they turn this ball over, when I pick <laughs> this pass off. It'll go for six. When yeah. we pick this pass off when we pick up this fumble this team's going to score that's 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 why i like this my team they're going to uh, score fast speed okay so what i'll do with my sixth defensive back is i'm going to go landon collins and i'm going to bring him in and i'm going to play him at that money position which is up there in the box which is yep, smart. where he was really good so i'll go landon i like the pick of bringing uh offense off the bench for defense i like that and yeah. you know what with that group minka could run back some interceptions for touchdowns too you know he had a couple in the one game against a&m back in 2015 for touchdowns he you got some guys that can score it once they uh once they pick it there with that group oh yeah you know i love that eddie i mean nobody was better instant offense than eddie you know you know of course he was offense you know i always felt that guy could have been a little bit of a two-way player because he had so, so elusive had such good ball, you know, natural skills. His yeah. ball, yeah. Like in the NFL, I mean, this guy scored touching like two, three, four games on defense. Uh-huh. On who does that? Let me make this that? comp That's for great. you. I, I want to get your thoughts on this before we get out of these DBs. D. Milner at Alabama, and maybe Patrick Sertan the second at Alabama as corners. You think they could be similar when it's all said and done? Because you know, D jumped right in there, as you said, did some good things as a freshman, uh, took some lumps as a freshman, uh, continued to play a lot of good football. Uh, and then in 2012, stepped on the gas and became a, a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. Can you see that sort of progression for Patrick Sertan II as we look ahead to 2020, Tim? 
I do. You know, I'm a believer in that sophomore slump. I believe that, you know, that you can have that really good freshman year, which Pat had. And a lot of people sort of act like Pat slumped as a sophomore. I, I just didn't think that was true. I thought he saw less targets at him. Um, I mean, a couple of times he did get burned, but I mean, man, some of those catches on him were insane. Yeah, it wasn't like they ball were ball placement. Yeah, they yeah they weren't. It wasn't like he was. They were running wide open, and Pat was grabbing a hamstring, you know, or falling down and grabbing his ankle. Pat, you know, Pat was still on him. I think that that kid's been training for the National Football League from the day he was born. Work ethic, you know, silent killer, very quiet. So yeah, absolutely, I could see him launching up draft boards. Especially after this year where you saw and, you know, in the NFL, I think this year tells you more than anything. It's still all about the seven on seven. You it see is. Cornerbacks drafted. You see a lot of wide receivers drafted. We're playing seven on seven a lot of ways. I don't agree with it. I'm still a, you know, I'm still a give me Quinnen Williams, give me Derek Brown, give me those disruptors. I think the best. Best way to help your secondary with a, is with a good pass rush. But yeah, they're still the NFL's playing seven on seven, and Pat's going to be right up there at the top when it when it comes to the you know the, to to cornerbacks in my opinion. Mel Kiper Jr. already likes Patrick Sertan the second pretty good. Mel came out with that initial top twenty five big board for the twenty twenty one NFL draft uh, here in the last couple of days, and Mel Kiper Jr. has Patrick Sertan the second number seven overall. On that top 25, looking ahead for uh, next late April. So there you go. Um, let's get into that mailbag. You ready to do it, Tim? Absolutely. Let's uh, let's see what we've got in there. We had some topics that we tried to introduce to our our great pals there on the roundtable. Of course, the premium message board of choice at BamaOnline.com. And as always, we got a nice response. We always appreciate that. We appreciate each and every one of those folks for taking the time to contribute to our efforts here. And a couple of the things we wanted to talk about with those uh, subscribers and listeners, favorite city to grab a meal in other than the one in which you live, Tim and uh, Crimson D two, four, seven. He responds with Boston and San Francisco. Yeah. Hard to go wrong with either one of those. Uh, Crimson D247 says his favorite place in Boston is a place called the No Name Restaurant. Best lobster roll he's ever had in San Francisco. There was a place at Pier 39. Best clam chowder bread bowl, Crimson D247. I mean, when you think about culinary capitals uh, from that genre, I'd say Boston and San Fran uh, qualify. Yeah, I haven't been to San Francisco yet. We were supposed to go next next uh, summer. Um, we're going to Europe this year as a family. We're going to California next summer. It's been pushed back, obviously. I have been to Boston, and, and um, the food's fantastic. I mean, you know, it's really good. The lobster rolls, you know, and you sort of think if you hadn't had it, how good can how much difference can they're a unbelievable? Roll? Yeah. No, it's that we ate at a place not far. I can't think of the name. It might be Neptune's or something like that. Not far from. Uh, Fenway, when we went and saw a game, and man, it was unbelievable. Their oysters are unbelievable as well. They're completely different than what what I'm used to. I'm used to the beach oysters, and the, I, I'm you know I'm used to eating them in New Orleans and Destin and places like that. So you know when they came out and they said we got these oysters and they were like three fifty for one, I was like shit, they better be some good oysters. And they, <laughs> they were some good oysters, and they had gave me a menu. 
that blew me away because they had them in all the different, you know, the, the different flavors or, or however they did it. It was it was really a good experience. Yeah, Boston is uh, a lot of fun in general, and I'm kind of with you. I've been there twice, and both times the trip centered on Red Sox games. So I've probably spent more time in the Cask and Flagon, the sports bar right outside Fenway, than yeah. I have in a lot of the restaurants. But um, here's the thing about a lobster roll in Boston. A lobster roll in Boston better be good. That's like saying, well, barbecue in Alabama's good. It better be good. Pork better be good in Alabama, right? I mean, a Absolutely. lobster roll has to be good in Boston. Absolutely. You know, but for me, where I'd go, I'm torn because you know how much I love New Orleans. And, I, you know, you can't really beat the food there. And, uh, I mean, there's so much, you know, especially if you like Cajun, but it's more than that. Great steak places. They have everything that's great. And I would have bet New Orleans against anywhere in the world. And then I went to New York. And New York's different because you get great food and you can get it cheap. I mean, there's a place. No doubt. The best dumplings we had was a small little place called Tasting Dumplings in Chinatown. And they were like a buck, you know, a buck 25 for five. And they were they were as good as any we had. Uh, You know, you get you can get the you know, you can get ramen. noodles. I never never liked ramen noodles till I had it there. And it's, you know, it's a little different that 99 cent thing my daughter eats. But, um, yeah, I mean, New York City, you know, for me, I think they're pretty equal dependent. New Orleans is very expensive. You know, it's worth every penny. New York, I can get a great piece of pizza for three dollars. You know, you can get just about anything you want, plus an expensive meal. So that'd be my top two. I guess I'd like to break it down by breakfast, lunch, and dinner, if it were me. Um, Probably breakfast, I would do Brooklyn uh, right there at the bagel store in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. We've stayed there before. Great, great bagels. They say it's in the water up there in New York City. Whatever it is, it's great. Um, Lunch. Gosh, man, lunch, I could do New Orleans or Chicago, either order for me, New Orleans or Chicago for lunch or dinner, Cortino, an Italian restaurant in Chicago, we absolutely love Giacomo's uh, in New Orleans is outstanding up more in the Carrollton district, kind of out of the quarter, but you can't go wrong. Can't go wrong with any of those. uh, Yeah, I should throw in the fact when we were in Italy, we were in we're at Rome and Amalfi Coast. I never had a bad meal. Uh, (laughs) I hope not. Which, which wouldn't come as a surprise to you. I completely forgot about that trip. But, um, you know, another one that matches up. I still think the place is, you know, it just, I think it's just perspective. You know, if you're talking Italian and, and seafood, you know, the, those places were great. Cajuns, New Orleans, New York City, you know, Chicago's got great food. Those beef. Those oh, beef, beef sandwiches. Oh, man. Nobody really Chicago. Talks. Oh, they're great. They, yeah, they, I'd rather have that than the Chicago-style hot dog or Chicago-style pizza. Trust me, that the deep be, dish. That beef sandwich. Give me the beef sandwich, yeah. It is It is. It is like a – yeah, it's it's a great thing. So Chicago's a great place to eat as well. Um, we've also got Oh You Know in the roundtable mailbag shouting out Big Sur, California. It's uh, scenically, uh, you're not going to beat Big Sur. There, there's no doubt about that as you move up the – the California coast, getting up there close to Monterey and in that area, absolutely stunning and gorgeous. Now, I don't know how this happened, but I feel for Bama man for JC because he's asking for stock advice uh, oh. from us. And I, I'm not the person for that. Uh, if you had a pile of cash right now, what stocks would you buy? I don't know what Coca-Cola is at, but I would probably always buy Coca-Cola. 
Um, but that, that's, that's not really my area of expertise there, Tim. Yeah. You know, I, I do not do stocks. I have no advice there. I know I've been watching it and it seems really scary to, to, yeah. uh, we got a couple of got a couple of friends of mine. I'm in a group text with that, that discuss it. I would, I would just, I, I personally wouldn't invest in it right now. I think it's almost a crapshoot up and down. I think it's a good way to lose a lot of money. So me, I err on the safe, safe side and, my stock goes in the bank account. That's my best stock right yeah. now. Keep it in cash for now. It would be my advice, too. Bam Up Man for JC also wants to know, what travel brands are we loyal to and how you earn points with them? You got a, you got a travel brand, airline, hotel, uh, card that you prefer, that, that you uh, it's kind of your go-to there, Tim. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh... No, not I'm, Mar- really. I'm Marriott. I'm Marriott Hilton guy. I'm Delta guy, you know, and I and I roll up that Amex on the Delta because I get those Delta points and everything and go with it, you know. I'm a I'm a best deal guy, but I do I do have a credit card. Like I have the Capital One Venture card that was really great. They had to deal with Hotels.com, and I'll tell you a funny story. So I got all my hotels for this trip. We're going to Europe for 19 days and I got points for it, got the points, used them on flights, used them on everything. Well, when I had to cancel it all, I looked up and I was negative 80,000 points. What? No, I'll I'll send you a screenshot. (laughs) What is this, Jeopardy? Dude, dude, I'll send you the screenshots. The funniest thing. I mean, Jeopardy points. Well, I got the points because I got 10 times because I went through Hotels.com. Uh, I got you. And you're yeah. talking, you know, you're talking 18 nights of hotels. So then I use those points to do other stuff like get flights. Now, it's all going to even out at the end of the day. But the 10 times points I got, I only paid, you know, one time for them. So, uh, yeah, I got a negative. It might be negative 78,000 or roughly because <laughs> I used it. But I have got like I don't even know like I I don't even I think I book a two hundred dollar flight and it cost me eight hundred. I've so, like I've used Booking.com in the past and and established an account with them and they seem to have a pretty decent sort of loyalty uh, program with with Booking.com. But you know when the when the middle kid went to Hawaii I had to man I had to get in on the Delta stuff and and anything like that to try to to try to make it work we run we literally run everything through southwest and delta cards because you get all the points you know but um yeah that's a smart move yeah we do that we have a couple credit cards we still use but i'm not married to any we like the boutiques it just depends when i'm with the kids yeah we usually need a suite so a bigger hotel change usually good to us if it's just me and the wife um, she, you know, we're more like those smaller boutiques. It's a little bit easier, but with six of us, we usually have to go to the, to the bigger ones. No doubt. Hey, as we get out of here, Tim, uh, you've been, you've been asking for some professional baseball of any kind. The Korean professional baseball league oh, is on ESPN. Have you been staying up at till midnight uh, to watch? First no, pitch, no. Here's what I do. I tape it every night. There you go. And, uh, have it for breakfast. I, I, I do. I tape it every night <laughs> and uh, I watch it during the day, just like I'm watching a Cubs noon game. I mean, every day the, there you uh, go. and dude, let me tell you something. Those guys play baseball. Those guys nice stadiums over there too. They yeah. are different. I saw a guy choked up like Chuck Knobloch last night with a, <laughs> leg, 
with a leg kick like he was Bob Gibson batting. <laughs> and this guy was not only swinging, he was stepping out of the box when he swung. And he slapped, yeah. a, he slapped a single. We got cheerleaders wearing face masks. We have no fans. We got guys giving 100%. There's something really beautiful about their awkwardness compared to how we play the game. You see a lot more different batting styles. It's like so the, it's 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 filling the need for now, essentially, is what it's doing know, for you. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be watching this a while. You know, I used to watch guys like you, Darvish, and uh, yeah. Otani. When they pitched, I'd find it and watch it uh, on a live stream. So, no, I, I like this kind of baseball. To me, it's, you know, it's, you know, we're so cookie cutter. You remember when we grew up, guys yeah. shot like, you know, you know Jamal Wilkins for uh, the silk for the Lakers put it behind his ear behind his head to shoot or Jamal Silk Wilkes yeah Dave Parker bad we have so many weird stances now our kids including my kids have been trained to bat one way so it's almost like every batter's the same there's not really yeah. Decove you know there's not really yeah. high Willie Stargell yeah so you're Carl Yastrzemski yeah we're sort of cookie cutter nothing's wrong with that it's great baseball. And it's fundamentally sound, but these guys are a little bit different, and I find it fun to watch. Well, we hope each and every one of you have had fun listening to us today on T. Watts and TR. Tim, as always, we appreciate the folks tuning in, and we certainly appreciate our friends, our great friends there at BamaOnline.com. Yeah, me too. Those guys, y'all been great during this, and they've kept us highly entertained. Uh, very active board posters, good debates. I mean, the round table's always been a great deal uh, with the subscribers. We've always we got a very passionate fan base, and uh, they've kept us entertained with show thoughts and uh, uh, recruiting panic. You know, we, we, <laughs> we've, we've had a lot to discuss. You know, I really appreciate those guys. No doubt. We appreciate each and every one of you. And if you haven't already, again, guess, give us a subscription. They're at the Built by Bama online podcast. Wherever you take in your podcast, you're going to be able to do that. It's the Built by Bama online podcast. Subscribe to it. Leave us a rating and a review. We would certainly appreciate it. For Tim Watts, Travis Ryer, hoping you have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you again real soon on the Built by Bama online podcast. Thanks, guys. Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.